0: Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC.
1: Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com.
0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Odd Lots Podcast. I'm Joe Weisenthal.
2: And I'm Tracy Alloway.
0: So, Tracy, obviously we've been doing a lot of uh crypto episodes lately, uh talk about like Bitcoin and its future, a lot about DeFi lately. But of course, like when all this got started, I remember like years ago, like people thought this was like very like dangerous sort of like provocative technology that, you know, people are like, "Oh, are they going to ban Bitcoin? Are they going to ban all this stuff?" Mm. Um it feels like, I don't know, my opinion is that it feels like a lot of that stuff is like now the dollar signs are in the air, a lot of that stuff has like been sort of like forgotten about <laughs> or sanitized away.
2: I mean, I think you still see hints of it when people talk about the potential regulatory response on things like DeFi and the idea of people creating yeah. synthetic stocks that basically bypass regulations. Like there is a hint of it there, but you're absolutely right that Bitcoin and the associated technology blockchain kind of started out as this crypto anarchist dream that was very much about maybe not undermining or actually, I think you could say undermining or bypassing um, existing authorities and creating something that was sort of immutable and also outside of their reach.
0: Right. Like something that totally has its own internal governance that is permissionless, that anyone can access, that is extremely um, sort of Uh, durable to an outside attack, very difficult to thwart. Like this was sort of like the philosophical underpinnings of it. And now you have people on Wall Street talking about like, oh, is Bitcoin play a role in your retirement portfolio like gold? Or can we trade synthetic soybean futures uh, via (laughs) Ethereum? And like all that is like theoretically kind of exciting, but it doesn't feel very, uh, it doesn't feel very uh, cypherpunk, like uh, at least like how we thought of uh, all this stuff in the early days
2: no i think it's like that classic thing about if a technology lives long enough it's eventually going to be co-opted by wall street and the thing that it probably sought to disrupt right like i'm thinking again about peer-to-peer lending and how that was supposed to bypass traditional banks and then eventually all the banks just got in on it but yeah, you're absolutely right. I think uh, with all the excitement over uh, cryptocurrency prices, as well as the potential for DeFi, we've sort of drifted away from the original um, crypto anarchist or cyberpunk uh,
0: yeah. dream. You know, that are, that raises all kinds of questions because there's like this marriage happening between crypto and Wall Street. And sometimes I think it's like kind of going to be like oil and water, like it looks good on paper, but can the two really interact? <laughs> And then, of course, like the question is like, well, what happens? Like, OK, like maybe they can be tamed and be used to profit, but nonetheless, decentralized, distributed uh, software databases uh, still extremely powerful. And perhaps uh, we forget that some of the original motivation behind it at our peril.
2: Well, I'm going to push back on that last okay. point, but I I do I do agree with you that like there is a tension between Wall Street getting in on technology, which is basically all about sort of decentralizing control, right? Yeah. And Wall Street slash finance slash banks are very much about having. I mean, basically, they're all about having control uh, or risk control systems in place, um, and so there's sort of an open question about. How useful a decentralized technology is going to actually be with um, to them?
0: Exactly right. Well, I think after all, after all this talk of money on recent episodes, it's good to go back to philosophy a little bit and what these <laughs> systems really are. And we have the perfect guest. Are
2: we doing blockchain, not Bitcoin? Is that <laughs> what this episode
0: of, is? Kind of, kind <laughs> of. I think that that's maybe one way to put it. Uh, I'm. I think we have like the perfect guest. He's kind of a legendary hmm. figure in the uh, crypto world. Um, we're going to be speaking with Vlad Zamfir. He's currently an independent researcher for the Ethereum Foundation. He's actually been uh, with involved in the Ethereum project since before it launched, actually in April 2014. Before that, he was a very early Bitcoiner. And I think, uh, you know, while everyone else likes to talk about price, uh, Vlad uh, writes these sort of more philosophical pieces about blockchains and the sort of uh, the power of this software, which he seems to recognize both the potential and the risks for. Uh, so extremely influential player in the space. He also characterizes himself, in addition to being a philosopher and a formal student of the law, an absurdist. So we're going to find out what that means. Vlad, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Uh, thanks, Joe. I'm a longtime fan of yours. Um, thank you. And uh, I'm excited to be here and, you know, excited to talk about all these pressing issues that we have today in, in, in the space.
0: So why don't you kick us off? I mentioned your, like, history a little bit. You are pretty early. You're much earlier into Bitcoin than most people. Then you were, uh, got involved with the Ethereum Foundation before it actually uh, officially launched as a tradable coin. Why don't you talk a little bit about your background? What, like, drew you to this space as an area of uh, research and interest? Well,
3: I got into Bitcoin during the... 2013 Cyprus bail-in sort of financial crisis uh during like um it was like one of those EU debt crises where like the government there decided to like seize money from people's bank accounts in order to pay back debt to the EU and and then like bitcoin kind of like stole a lot of headlines then because like people were using it in order to evade this capture and so for me like I got into bitcoin and I was like kind of like uh, revolutionary like financial technology that would like help save people from like capital controls inflation and like you know this kind of like you know that like the global financial system has been like co-opted by like the law everywhere Bitcoin provided a kind of escape. And so I was into Bitcoin for this like kind of escapist, you know, cypher parm kind of like radical like we can escape the central banking system kind of agenda. And like that was exciting. Like I was excited you know, for, like, the future of money at the time. And, like, I was really, like, a bitcoiner through and through in that way. And then I got in- interested in Ethereum um, when I kind of realized that, like, this, you know, this, like, yeah, blockchain, not Bitcoin kind of story where actually, like, the technology, like, is useful way, way outside the scope of Bitcoin. And it's something where we could potentially use this to, like, decentralize you know, all sorts of things and to disintermediate and to, like, a kind of, you know, do things without going through gatekeepers you know, way outside of just money and finance and i was interested in like decentralizing academia or like peer review through like content curation and um things like this which are kind of like still in some way uh, very much part of ethereum's um
2: um i definitely want to talk about some potential use cases of the technology but i also sort of want to jump in with one major question um which relates to uh what you were just saying about the original vision for bitcoin and why you got interested in it but Joe's been writing a lot about uh Wall Street embracing Ethereum or um being ETH-pilled as he puts it. So I'm just curious, like, what what do you think? What is it about Ethereum that has caused it to be embraced by the financial community? Like a community that a lot of people would say it should probably be bypassing altogether. <laughs>
3: yeah and you know in some way you could say that it is uh but i would say like this basically like ethereum is very much not bitcoin and it was like set up in some way to like fill some of the gaps both like politically and technically that bitcoin left open and so ethereum like you know very much like contrasts itself to bitcoin politically legally Mm -hmm. and also has this kind of programmable layer where you can build A lot of applications that are basically like not possible in Bitcoin. And those include things like famously all this DeFi stuff that we're intro the conversation with that like is in some way like financial wizardry today. And, and so and so there's like in some way like there is interesting financial stuff that happens on ethereum and ethereum and the way it's like postured and positioned it's it's not like the future of money and the way bitcoin is like it's hard to understate how much not bitcoin ethereum is because like of the kind of poor representation that ethereum gets in the media but like if you kind of like are in the scene like you feel very much like ethereum is not bitcoin and 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 i think that the that, that kind of it not being bitcoin and it posturing in a way that's much more general, amorphous, you know, you can project your own fantasies onto it. It's not like the future of money on, in the same kind of like, you know, clear, defined kind of way that Bitcoin tries to be. And so and so I think it has like a, a, a niche in crypto currency and blockchain like it kind of and it kind of like created and, and changed the way that people even think about the space from like you know just thinking about like this these kind of money and finance narratives actually to get much broader than that which in some way lets it actually provide a safe space for some of this financial activity but that's also very questionable in terms of like how safe is it really to like you know do these things without like new york being super down with it and so on
0: that, that's what you say there like do these things without New York being super down with it is something that I like struggle with or question a lot, because like on the one hand, like blockchains are theoretically uncensorable. We could get into how realistic that is, but like that is sort of the uh, story like, OK, you, you you set the software free and you theoretically can't stop it. In theory, though, one can imagine like um, someone looking at a decentralized lending protocol or something that certainly looks like a stock market that runs on Ethereum and saying, you know, regularly saying, hey, this is illegal. This is like securities fraud or selling of unregistered securities. Do you expect an inevitable clash on that level? And do you think people within the sort of uh, crypto blockchain community are naive about thinking that, the law will just sort of not be an impediment in the end?
3: Well, I mean, certainly to some extent. But I think what they really think is they think that they've thought this through and they see how it'll play out and that they're going to win this and that, like, you know, the time is right for this revolution and, like, they can do this without New York's approval and, like, they're just going to win, you know. But basically, like, they have this, like, view, actually, like, a different view of, like, the legal reality there. Like, they don't, they, 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 like, I think they're, like, ready to call New York's bluff and to say, like, hey, like, you know... You can't tell us what to do on the blockchain. Like this is not New York, you know. But then, of course, you know you're going to interact with a smart contract, and then like get into like a, a legal relationship with someone in New York, and then be sued, and then you like going to the United States one day. and Like, you know, it's, there's obviously ways in which you know this is going to come to a head, and where people are going to get in trouble legally because of this stuff. And not only is it a place for conflict; it's like a place where like it's guaranteed that there's going to be conflict. There's no way to get around that just because of the basic like let's say legal political realities of of defi and of blockchain and blockchain governance
2: can we talk a little bit more about the immutability idea of blockchain so joe just touched on this and i think we have to talk about it because it's sort of central to the use case of the technology right this idea that you can build a code that can basically exist and be the thing around which like multiple players or two people can come to an agreement and it means they don't have to have a middleman and um you know it allows for these sort of trustless transactions and things like that but I, i guess my question is like how immutable is blockchain actually given that we've had incidents of the chain or the code being corrupted and you know i'm aware that as we're recording this i think it's like almost the five-year anniversary of the DAO attack when you had, you know, someone who basically drained the DAO of all the ether it had collected from the sale of its tokens. I think that happened in, like, june five years ago something like that so i'm just wondering like how safe how reliable is the blockchain if we're going to be relying on it um for all these different transactions
3: yeah i mean well there's a lot to pack there but like these are topics that are very near and dear to my heart and i would say firstly that like okay i think like the true like revolutionary potential of blockchain isn't because of the immutability thing like i don't think it's like i don't think the immutability thing is really anything more than like misinformation or disinformation about the, the nature of blockchain, in order to kind of manage the way that we have conflict uh, about blockchain tech, and so like that, it's like a tactical misinformation that happened from the start in order to protect the blockchain from like what we're seeing as like political legal adversaries that are too strong for us to have like a independent like legal way to manage disputes like the instead we kind of have this regime where basically like we're supposed to not argue about or supposed to not really change the protocol and 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 i think like the the real kind of like potential doesn't come really from the immutability as much as from the fact that this is a new kind of cyberspace that like isn't owned by like the guy who owns this one server it's kind of like a cyberspace that's in a different kind of space that's like maybe more shared than is possible in like today's like software as a service kind of model Mm -hmm. and so it's this and and, and the ways in which we can fight over and the ways we're going to have disputes over the governance of this space i don't think is going to be limited by immutability and i think that's going to actually unlock a lot of value in blockchain to kind of for us to get over this idea that it's useful because it's immutable and that it's trusted because it's immutable i mean it's like saying oh you can trust me i put myself in a straitjacket like that's something someone who's not very trustworthy would say, you know, that's someone who's like kind of like maybe up to something else would say. And, 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 and in my opinion, you know, basically like one way to say it is that the norm of not disputing the software was associated tightly with the software so tightly that you don't even learn about blockchain without learning about this immutability thing. And that has created this amazing international legal order that is basically extremely deviant, you know, like it's like it says the software is like not allowed to be changed. And like, it doesn't matter like who wants it or like what is happening. Like, you know, it's a really kind of radical founding fallacy or founding trick or like founding disinformation in like the cryptocurrency space that we talk about the history of a little more. But all this is to say, look, I don't think that it's immutability as much as this question of like this new type of space that we could that we have, you know, because like, you know, you can't shut down a server or regulate a server in order to regulate the cyberspace in the way that like is kind of expected in the cyberspace today. And so I think it, it creates new political and legal ground for dispute. And this and, and Satoshi and co kind of tried to front run this by saying it's immutable and like we decided that this is the protocol forever. But like that is kind of bullshit. But that doesn't mean that blockchain is not useful. Uh, it's uh, quite, you know, quite the opposite.
4: Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC.
0: So let's talk about this idea a little bit more. So obviously, if I'm running an application that's like on Amazon Web Services, AWS, that space that they own and I have to play by their rules and Amazon has to play by the government's rules. And that's uh, pretty straightforward. If I'm building an application on Ethereum, uh, that obviously creates new things. So what do you talk us through, like, some of the implications of this? If we're talking about the real power of blockchain is not the immutability per se, but the idea of, like, a new—I guess it's like a new shape of space that exists uh, that's sort of, like, outside of the conventional way we think about, like, service as a software. What makes that so revolutionary? And what do you see as the sort of, like—what's the conflict model, I guess, within that new realm?
3: Yeah, so today the dominant conflict model is like this immutability thing that we kind of just talked about. But it's certainly, you know, not really like sustainable or defensible or like analytically. Like you can kind of just tell, like not just from history, but like from like the institutional arrangements that like, okay it's like it's obviously not like actually immutable. Like nothing is like really like actually immutable. That's not like a real, you know, thing for tech objects. You know, there's like always governance. And so like what this basically means is that like the model for conflict for this new space is basically like. Undetermined, and determined. Basically, we, there's no way that like anyone can say by like decree, like what it's going to be, because basically no one has that legal competence or authority. And and it's kind of like it kind of is forcing us to reckon with the fact that law doesn't just exist inside national borders and that like, you know, we have to deal with the way we have disputes over software uh, that doesn't exist and can't just be subject to this command and control line that you mentioned earlier.
0: Just to follow up on this a little bit more. I mean, like what is, I mean, what makes it so powerful and revolutionary? Cause like in theory, like with Bitcoin, like that is, you know, it's really hard to change. It may not be strictly speaking permanently immutable, but we know like it is uh, really hard to change, but what is the power that gets unlocked in your view by creating this new space, this new type of software?
3: It's like the power that's created by you know, having somewhere that's outside of like the jurisdiction of your state authority, which, like, today, for the most part, is, like, charged with, like, maintaining legal order. And so, you know, it's basically, like, in some way, like, you know, you just aren't subject to the same disputes from the same parties that you, like, normally would. So, like, you know, normally, if you were to try to uh, start an unregistered securities exchange, they can really, like, just, like, you know, tell you, like, no, you have to stop. And then, like, you know, whereas, like, In crypto like DeFi today, it's like not so simple, basically, because it's not clear exactly like how that plays out, like, you know, in the terms of the like lifespan and that conflict. And then if it doesn't play out right, you can actually create a bigger problem through trying to through trying to shut it down. Um, and so, and so there's kind of like, um, uh, the legal non-determinism, like a legal uncertainty that it makes it difficult to see, you know, like how is Uniswap going to be like regulated in the U S for example, or like lots of other questions, you know, where, where, where it just, there's, there's, no legal opinion in the world that like it is right. And it's like a matter of like, the like, you know, real, like legal non-determinism. And, and so I think that like creates a tremendous opportunity because it's like politically uncontested Territory or politically uh, not uncontested, but politically contested is what I mean <laughs> territory. Uh, right. And so and so that and so it's a kind of whole uh, place for like, you know, not just people who like want to escape finance, but also people who want to like maintain the safety of their financial systems. But also not just in finance, but, you know, because ultimately with like Ethereum and like blockchain, not Bitcoin, we kind of go way beyond just just finance.
2: So. Two questions here, and they're related to the points you were just making, but can you maybe elaborate on the use cases for blockchain technology? Um, You know, we've been talking a lot about DeFi DeFi, um, making synthetic stocks, things like that, Um, but you mentioned a few other potential use cases like curation um, earlier, and I'd love to hear more about those. But secondly, how desirable is it to basically bypass these sensitive or politically contested areas. Like, you know, a lot of people would argue that regulation exists for a reason. Um, There's a reason why finance in particular um, is heavily regulated. So I guess maybe just elaborate a little bit more on, on your last point. Like, why would you want this? Why is this a desirable thing to have?
3: Yeah. So, so let me say that, like, okay, I think let me answer in reverse order. Um, so um, I don't think the escape is like realistic or desirable, but I think what is, you know, something we have to face is the fact that like we don't have a national or state authority that can call the shots. And so, and so what that means is that we need to develop legal Ability, legal security, without having the ability to rely on like state enforced rules, and so what that means is, you know, the the nature of law today, as we understand it, needs to kind of like, or let me take a step back. Like the, the 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 most powerful legal forms today aren't equipped to deal with this particular conflict, and so it creates a tremendous opportunity to for us to find ways to manage our conflicts in a in a, in a scope where that doesn't easily lend itself to the like existing like most powerful legal forms. And so, and so that is like a, a, a tremendous opportunity. And, but, I don't think of it as escaping law. I think of it as discovering law, actually, and discovering, you know, and, and, and then being kind of like, you know, secure in our conflicts without having this state that can like enforce rules and that so that we can like mediate our, our experience of law through like the state. And cause, cause no one wants to create like a global crypto law state that will like enforce the rules on crypto. You know, it's like it, there, there's like a push against that kind of like global state in the law. And, just in like, you know, just like basic common sense of like, how is this going to be abused and corrupted? Uh, but thankfully, though, so we have a tremendous legal history in the world and, and we have like tremendous amount of legal culture. And it doesn't just boil down to uh, state rules. And so we have uh, an opportunity to have important legal disputes in a way that is in some way not according to the normal status quo. And that is tremendously inter- interesting However, as you say, like the idea of escaping law is fallacious and dangerous and uh, facilitates a lot of bad stuff and and certainly I don't advocate legal escapism. I like would love to, you know, fight it in particular in the context of crypto because like people have this idea that just because it's not in this jurisdiction of a state that that there's no law. And that's just incredibly untrue, uh, on like a deep, deep analytical basis, in a deep, deep analytical way, where like it's impossible to escape the law. Like it's just not, that's like not a thing. And so it was just like, it just that like the particular you know, state enforced rules, legal form that people are like lazily expect to like always work, you know, but even though like, you know, it like obviously like doesn't always doesn't work. And so then they, and so then they get themselves crazy thinking like, "Ah, I can escape, you know, like the law, but like, that's not, that's not reality. Like, I mean, you know, the reality is that like, it doesn't matter where you go, like you bring the law with you and other people will bring the law to you. Um, so I think it just forces us to reevaluate as opposed to letting us escape. And that kind of like new situation where we have like, where we have to deal with our conflicts in a new way. um, is super interesting. Although unfortunately today is dominated by this immutability norm, which basically is, is kind of having people pretend like, oh, they can't interfere with the software. Like the software is just like fully autonomous, which I think is crazy talk because like, you know, nothing is above the law. Like nothing isn't subject to dispute. I mean, like there's no way in which like software will ever be, Above the law, and, and and so it's only a matter of time before immutability becomes kind of like sidelined and minimized, and we have to find another way to be secure in our conflicts around blockchain and crypto.
0: Okay, so you say like it's kind of crazy talk the immutability norm, but it is also true that if New York regulators were like Uniswap is illegal now, they they can't. act In the past, they could if there was a entity offering some sort of like exchange. That they didn't want, like I'm thinking like, okay, like when uh, there used to be uh, betting, you know, more betting markets that were available in the United States on centralized by, run by centralized companies or gambling or whatever. And a regulator could say, this is illegal now, and it would go away, and that would be it. But if a regulator said, in theory, you can't do Uniswap anymore or something like that. It obviously isn't that isn't as easy. Maybe, you know, it's not above the law and maybe immutability is unrealistic, but it's obviously a very different interaction than it was before when it was like, say, the regulators kicking out online poker sites. So in your in your vision, how does this sort of like traditional notion of law enforcement and regulation interact with this new with this new uh, with this new model?
3: Yeah. And I mean, that's a that's a challenging question. And basically, like the easy thing to say is, okay. well, you know, they get to I mean, they still have like all of their like local and also international legal means. And they still have the ability to issue sanctions and to say, like, oh, no, like that's criminal. Like, oh, no, like, you know, don't send money to this address because like, you know, or like, don't buy like this token because like, and you're just like supporting terrorists. Like, you know, they, they have this authority to do these things and those will be, and there will be like real legal consequences for people who find themselves in the, you know, in like, let's say like the scope of US law, which is vast. And so it's not like they don't have means of regulating many persons that are in the law who would be maybe using the systems. And so I don't want to minimize that because like there's a lot there, but I also want to say that like you know because of yes immutability, but more more generally because of the these protocols need to be used everywhere, you know, or not everywhere, but we like if if they were to like say mandate a change to the Ethereum protocol in order to let them shut down Uniswap, like that would become like Ethereum USA or something, and it wouldn't be the same. Right. So you need to kind of like you, there needs to be like a different level of kind of legitimacy and coordination and opt in on a global basis for a dispute brought by, you know, someone to, to, to lead to this change. And so and so there's kind of like this sort of like nebulous culture that is going to like, you know, like judge the legitimacy of this legal order and then say whether like, you know, like, you know, like budge for it. And 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 in some way, immutability already says no. Like, very much, like, no to all of it. And so, like, because, like, that's, like, the status quo today, it's quite hard to imagine. However, you know, in the future, we're going to have, like, uh, basically, you know, let's say, you know, mediums for having these disputes. It's not going to be, like, you know, we just, like, accept state authority to, like, tell us what to do. I mean, because that's, like, not the ethos at all. But, like, where we, like, you know, don't want to, like do like, and allow like all of the worst behavior. Like, you know, if you want to have like your cake and eat it too, you know, they're, 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 you basically need to be secure about your ability to manage these conflicts and to say like, you're, you have a right to have your sanctions and we have the right to have our sanctions. And like, you know, we are not even like a single body politic. And so, and so like, we're not going to necessarily have like official like here's like, you know, like Ethereum, like the sanctions that like Ethereum will respect or anything like that. But through the course of disputes, and through the course of you know the various like events that are going to happen in crypto, uh, you know these things are going to change basically, and, and, and you know it's up to kind of like people with bright legal minds to kind of try to like front run all these situations and figure out how we can prevent some of these very bad outcomes.
2: So, I mean, just on that note, like, what does this actually mean for society? And I know this is something that you um, and Vitalik have touched upon before, you know, this idea that society is basically built on contracts and what we're talking about is a new type of contract technology or a new space, um, for agreeing contracts in and, you know, potentially I I take your point earlier, but potentially contracts that can sort of like, uh, outlive or, um, exist beyond the reach of, um, I guess, uh, coordinated legal systems. Maybe that's one way of putting it. Like, what does this mean for society as a whole?
3: Well, I mean, you know, that's an excellent question that I don't think has like a, a, a super simple answer uh, other than like, you know, we need to reckon with the fact that we have this kind of space now that we need to govern and to understand like how we have conflict over and around the kind of like first thing to note though, that I have to mention is like, okay, well smart contracts aren't actually contracts. Like like legal contracts like exist in the law, like smart contracts are like in the Ethereum virtual machine. Like if in contract law terms, like, smart contracts are more about execution than actually like contracting. And and so like, you know, they're not really contracts. They're more like something you might use when you're trying to avoid getting into a contract. And then you might accidentally get into a contract in some cases. But uh, in terms of contract law, like, uh, I mean, you can't expect too much change. I mean, contract law is like, you know, like extremely robust and like, you know, we've like been through a lot in contract law and it's not like, you know, like smart contracts are like a new paradigm in contract law, really. Although they may be a way to um let's say execute some terms of a contract in some cases, like for the most part, smart contracts are not legal contracts and it's it's kind of an, a misnomer that's been both tactical and extremely effective, but also is you know leads to this kind of idea that like these are contracts when they're like not really and, and i think that like the the question of like how do blockchains and cryptocurrency let us organize you know how they impact the way that we organize aren't isn't going to be like a necessarily a contract law reality as much as it's going to be something like in terms of uh, you know the, the 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 new spaces and the new intersections of different cultures and and, and economies and and stuff that that are going to be facilitated in these spaces, but but the question of what, like how will blockchains affect and influence like the way we organize in society are you know deep and uncertain. And there is an extent to which like the technology really is you know better than traditional consensus protocols. And so like there is a way where like okay we know it'll help us in some computer systems in like a rather clear way. But uh, in terms of like, like, you know, the, the promise of like social revolution or like a social change in the order or like a social like, you know, like new way or like escape or things like this. Like those are all like deeply non-deterministic and like very unclear. Like it could just be that like, you know, this inspires like the worst kind of global totalitarianism in a, like a crackdown as much as it could be that like, you know, we're able to like use it responsibly in a way where we can, you know, justify the maintenance of our freedoms in the law.
0: How could this go bad? I mean, we were talking earlier before the show and you, you talk about this sort of like the danger of unstoppable software. What are some of the risks if people don't think about this right or if a sort of like if a community can't sufficiently self-govern, if there does, if uh, if people fail to achieve some sort of like norms about say, cutting off some of the most egregious uh, uh, patterns of behavior that can be done on a blockchain? Like, what are some of the risks that people should be thinking about?
3: I don't necessarily want to, like, give people ideas, but I will say that, like, whenever you have anything in the law that isn't subject to dispute, you could, like, imagine it being part of, like, some Rube Goldberg machine that, like, does some kind of, like, you know, very unlawful thing in the end. So, so, so you, can, you could imagine that, like, you know, each of these indisputable components, can together come together to make things possible, like you know the sharp increase in ransomware, and like you know, uh, for for one example, that's like kind of like everyone knows about, and it won't give anyone ideas for me to talk about. Like like ransomware is a good is a good example of something where. You know, it's, it just makes the business of ransom so much easier to use cryptocurrency. And and so, you know, that is like some like quite obvious, you know, unlawful, bad, so many different levels of conduct that, that is basically being facilitated here. And that we currently don't have the means to really stop. Or let me rephrase, we don't have the will or the legal strategy, like legal capacity to stop.
0: Is that something in your view that, the cryptocurrency or say people within say the Ethereum network or I guess you know some of these are different networks Bitcoin, Monero, etc. Are these things that people who are working on governance in these areas should be more actively thinking about?
3: Absolutely Uh, and I think you know um, people need to be much more secure in their ability to handle uh, conflicts in crypto. Um, Today they're you know, they have these kind of like aggressive postures because like they don't believe that they can handle these disputes. They think that like if you like delete some coins from some ransomware attack, then like that opens the floodgates to like the government deleting your coins because you didn't pay taxes or whatever. You know, you can imagine people have like fears about all the things that could happen if we started to do anything. And and and, and people like don't have like the security to like say, look, you know, we can judge these things. And we don't need to say, look, we don't need to like delegate to like a system that decides and therefore be captured by the system. But like we can have like the legal security and like the responsibility for a legal judgment in order to, you know, have our cake and eat it too, to like not allow unchecked state authority, but also to not allow unchecked scammers.
2: Since you brought up scamming and ransomware, I'm wondering if we can just go back to uh that question from earlier about use cases for blockchain. Yeah, cuz I like what gets you excited about potential use cases for the tech?
3: Uh, I I I'm 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 really excited about, you know, uh, this like opportunity that we have to both both because of, like, the improvement in the technology, but also because of this crazy legal trick and this crazy legal reality that, like, crypto exists in. I think, you know, the thing that's, like, most exciting to me is, like, this multidisciplinary mix of, like, this crazy kind of institution, which, like, you know, sometimes passes itself off as tech, but is really of a, a, a very interesting, dynamic, multifaceted, like, ontologically very complex type of institution. And I And I think that, like, you know, these... Although primitive today stand to become like complex, dynamic, very interesting institutions that get to do a lot for us that like currently we don't have in cyberspace. Because like, in cyberspace today, we have basically a situation where we have a kind of a neo feudalism where like our feudal lords who like own the big computers like own us. And I'm, like, not exaggerating by a lot. And so I think there's, like, a, a a state of crisis in cyberspace that crypto helps to respond to, you know, as much as also there's, like, a state of crisis in, like, global governance and global law. And, like, blockchain and crypto kind of, like, sits in that space and can help us provide new realities, new paradigms, new places where we can try again and, like, hopefully not fail this time to have, like, you know good governance and to have like, you know, institutions that are part of a kind of society that we want to live in. So I think, I think it's like, you know, very much like very much political and very much in reaction to some of the prevailing political realities today where basically like, you know, power is concentrated and, and and, and, in a way where perhaps um, with this decentralized computer, you know, kind of like, you know, like servers that are like, you know, no longer own the cyberspace, um, we can maybe create and have uh, a new balance of powers, like a more balance of powers, you know, more rule of law, as opposed to just, you know, having like the feudal lords or like the legislatures or the states kind of like act lawless and, and like lord over everyone as if like, you know, they own the law.
4: Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC.
1: Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large-sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com.
0: Do you envision, like, a future, theoretically, in which sort of, like, everything that we do online, whether it's something that resembles traditional social networking, sharing sharing stories and videos and photos with our friends, communication, that it could all essentially be done in this sort of, like, new decentralized sort of like crypto-based manner like is that like a future that seems realistic to you
3: um well there's a number of like technical like legal economic you know there's lots of lots of barriers and there's like a you know just because we have like new primitive forms in this direction and like way more possibilities than before doesn't mean that like we're there yet i mean like privacy in cryptocurrency is very bad and there's a lot of basic norms around how we have disputes that like aren't really settled in a way that's like secure or sustainable there's a lot of reasons why you know we can't and we shouldn't and it would be like a very bad idea for us to try to like do everything with crypto systems that said you know it's it's not clear what the technical legal economic etc limits are and so that's something that's like kind of also subject to this ongoing kind of discovery, negotiation, and so on. It's hard to imagine how that would look safe. It's easier to imagine like why people would do it despite it not being safe. And so like I'm you know concerned because like, you know, of the like lack of basic infrastructure that's like required for this to be safe. However, the opportunity is there, the 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 the, the stakes are there like the contention is there, like people are ready to fight over these issues and and, 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 to, and to kind of see what happens. Although, you know, we are still in a position where we could easily see some really bad outcomes win. Like, for example, you know, like the, the, the unstoppable software, the like global cyber state, or like the, you know, the feudalist just controlling everything. Like there's a lot of bad outcomes that are kind of in the cake today that like could easily get baked, you know, into like our reality. But it's not... It's still, like, not set in stone yet. It's not clear, like, you know, these, these outcomes will happen. You know, I'm optimistic that we can find better outcomes than, than any of these kind of, like, established ones.
2: I wanted to go back to uh, the beginning of this discussion when we were talking about what attracted you into Bitcoin in the first place and then how you got interested in Ethereum. Um, and it's a slightly weird, I guess, like, cultural or values question, but... Some people would describe the Bitcoin community today as being, uh, I guess, toxic. Is is one word, or like openly hostile to outsiders and hostile to alternate visions of crypto? And so, I'm just wondering, as someone who sits on the opposite side of Bitcoin now um, and is heavily involved in Ethereum, like. How would you characterize the cultural differences between Bitcoin versus Ethereum?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, Bitcoin has like a relatively defined culture, whereas like Ethereum's culture is still kind of like amorphous and people, you know, have different, like sustain different, very different politics and views within Ethereum. So Ethereum kind of is like much more diverse and in some way less toxic than Bitcoin because like the the like incentive to like get everyone out who doesn't toe the party line like isn't really like there as much in, in, in ethereum and so what happens is basically like ethereum is like supports much more diversity you know and and ethereum by by virtue of like being more amorphous by, by about like being about kind of everything instead of just being about money it 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 kind of has um uh, you know a support for much more visions, but that also means that like there are like struggles and factions and people like you know like having fights over like what is ethereum in a way that like doesn't really happen in bitcoin and bitcoin they're kind of just like you know 21 million blo- 21 million bitcoins and if you don't agree get out and if you don't like one megabyte blocks like get out and like you know they have this kind of toxicity which which is which is kind of like a, i like to describe it as a, a channel authentication uh strategy where basically it, it, it makes it so that like you if you don't if you're not like one of them, like you can't really tolerate to be there, and so you can kind of just by virtue of being in those channels, like you're kind of authenticated, and it makes it a safe space for them. And and I think it also it also helps them reinforce this immutability norm. Like earlier, Joe mentioned, like oh, it would be very hard to change Bitcoin, and the reason is because like you have all these uh, toxic Bitcoiners who will basically like be horrible to you if you suggest that we don't need to do this immutability thing. And not that it's like hard to change the software. It's just like hard to get through the Bitcoiners who like have this kind of like pseudo cult or like real cult or pseudo religion around around Bitcoin.
0: I mean, I guess the question is, is like we've all interacted with that and we sort of know that phenomenon. But could it be that that's a good sort of like survival strategy, a good evolutionary strategy? It's like, Obviously, Ethereum seems to be more open to debate and governance questions seem to be more up in the air and so forth. But, you know, if you're trying to like bootstrap a new money into existence in a way that uh, Bitcoin is trying to do, does it make sense perhaps to create this cult environment so that you go through so that even during the lean times, nobody is threat? Nobody nobody who's involved wants to pivot or no change like adversity comes and it's like, well, some people might be tempted to change the uh, project, but, you know, Bitcoiners by shedding themselves essentially of people who would be even tempted to think about changing the software or changing the project, like does that create a certain amount of uh, uh, resilience that can survive attacks or periods where the price is low and so forth?
3: Kind of, but it also lends itself to becoming like a obsolete or like a relic or like a kind of quaint vintage item or something you know it's, it's kind of no offense i don't know I don't know i don't I don't wanna say it i guess it, 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 it let me say that it's not the smartest strategy I think in the long run because it's kind of like you know maximum commitment now, like committing to the position like never change it like it's kind of like it gives up on on their ability to maneuver. Who knows what'll happen in the future? And it's kind of like painting yourself in a corner. You may like that corner for now, but you might find that one day you have, you have a need to move around. And, and I don't think it's particularly tactical. I don't think it's particularly smart in just from like also the point of view of like the, 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 the political agenda of Bitcoin, you know, which is also, which also, which does involve like, you know, having some measure of. Legitimacy ultimately and like goodwill from society, which is undermined by this kind of like toxic hardline attitude.
2: Yeah, I totally agree with that last point. And of course, there's like there's also an irony there. It's sort of like being a technological luddite, but at the same time being extremely into this new technology that you think is revolutionary and is going to change the world. Um, Although I guess it's not that new anymore. Um, But just on this note, there was one other thing I wanted to ask you. Um, So one of the things that makes Ethereum different is that it does change. Um, It does respond to challenges. There's a really vibrant debate over which direction Ethereum should go in. Um, And there are different factions, um, but you could also describe them as communities. And they're all sort of talking to each other about the future of Ethereum or the vision for the future. I'm just wondering. When it comes to building consensus in the Ethereum community, how helpful is it to have a sort of figurehead um, like Vitalik uh, to help that happen? Because that also seems to be like a key difference between the Ethereum community and Bitcoin, that Ether like sort of has a leader.
3: Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a blessing and a curse. I mean sometimes um, you know uh, basically like sometimes people like expect Vitalik to make calls when like you know he, he doesn't like really necessarily want to. Sometimes you know it's really 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 useful to have um, you know Vitalik be kind of like this mediator of you know the different political kind of currents in Ethereum, uh, but. It basically, it, it it also it also can lead to a kind of a suspension of judgment, where basically people think that like oh like you know if Vitalik approves of this, it must be great, you know, and so it so there it's definitely like cuts both ways. But I would say also Vitalik is kind of like much more. You know benevolent dictator for ethereum 2 than ethereum like 1.0 where like we still have kind of like the all devs call and the eips and we have like this kind of process of you know the core developers and and and, and in, in which is some way you know in some way very independent and has been for a very long time of vitalik's like influence on a day-to-day basis so vitalik is actually really more of like a researcher and like a pioneer like future direction as opposed to like you know providing like any basis for day-to-day dispute management really
0: so to, to sum up it's sort of like big picture views, if I'm getting it, it feels like the message what you're trying to say is, you know, there really is this potential through crypto, through blockchains to create new regimes of governance that could in many ways be better than what exists now. And some of that may be financial, some of that may be political and so forth. But to get there, the community itself has to take governance more seriously and that it can't be that... If, if, if we're going to replace governance with blockchain governance, then the people who manage and sort of like contribute to these blockchains have to take the idea of law and have to take the idea of potential malleability and regulating and maybe cutting off bad behavior more seriously in order to get to this point where blockchains become an important thing.
3: I think, I think that's, I think that's more or less right. I have, I find myself like having a slight reservation around the idea that law is an idea, but like, you know, other than that, I think like that's, I think that's, I think that's right. And, and, and I think though, you know, it's, it's more like having a kind of uh, an ecosystem where like, you know, like the tech people are doing tech governance and you have like people with like legal disciplinary skills doing these types of like more dealing with like the legal questions as opposed to trying to have like a kind of passing off of this institution as just technology. And so I think that the the big thing really is going to be um, more diverse governance or like a more multidisciplinary approach, as opposed to kind of a tech centric approach that we kind of have now. And 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 so and so, it's not so much about like developers really being more realistic about law. I mean, developers don't want anything to do with law. Like they should be isolated from liability. They shouldn't be making these decisions. These decisions are crazy. Like like for the developers to be making, you know, like it's not appropriate to put a software developer in this, this kind of legal position. And so I think you know there's a there's a there's a need for uh, kind of. Reimagination of the nature of these institutions in order for us to have the kinds of skills and capacity uh, to deal with these governance and law issues that just don't exist in technical disciplinary training.
0: That's a really well put. Well, Vlad, thank you so much for um, coming on out It's great to hear with, uh, great to speak with one of the uh, original originals in the space, one of the big thinkers. And uh, that was a great conversation. Appreciate you joining us. Yeah, my
3: pleasure. Really, uh, really fun. Uh, th- thanks a lot.
0: Take care, Vlad. So I thought that was actually super fascinating. You know, Tracy, have you come across like people uh, like on Twitter? who, like, something bad happens or something, and they're like, Bitcoin fixes this? Have you come across, like, that uh, that phrase?
2: <laughs> no, never. That's, no, <laughs> never seen. Yeah, of course, like, uh, Bitcoin. I once wrote down, I think I wrote down all the, like, things that Bitcoin was supposed to fix, um, and it was a really long list. And I remember, I think the last, the last time I did this was, like, in 2020 during the depths of the COVID crisis. Yeah. And I remember some people were talking about blockchain, like, Fixing the pandemic, which again seemed like a bit of a reach.
0: Well, I mean, like obviously, when people say that a lot of times, like okay, I think a lot of times they're joking or just a you know a line that people say. But I think like Vlad like raises a really interesting point, which and you know if you want to like push it deeper or something, it's like how can Bitcoin fix this if like people who are involved in Bitcoin don't actually and I think this is his point, like don't actually seem interested in law or governance and so like yeah you know there's this sort of like belief that like somehow bitcoin itself has these like powers to like write ills or whatever and yet it's not obvious to me that the people who are involved in bitcoin in any way whether as developers or holders or anything actually have any like interest in engaging on what it would take to fix x or y
2: Totally. Well, this is why I brought up the toxicity point, yeah. which is, like, if if you have a community that, like, kind of describes itself as we are changing the world, but then won't actually talk very much about ideas of how it's changing the world, um, that seems problematic to me. And then the other thing is, like... Almost by definition, Bitcoin tends to be an exclusionary community. Um, there's a finite supply of coins um, that will ever be in existence. And it's sort of like, you know, first come, first serve. If you're an early yeah. adopter, you're kind of worshipped on the platform. And again, like if you're trying to recruit people to the cause, it, it seems like a weird stance to take, Like, to me, I think you would want to be much more open, much more engaged and willing at least to talk about potential issues, either with cryptocurrency itself or the underlying technology.
0: Right. And like, OK, like Bitcoin isn't going to fix everything. But even if you wanted, say, like Bitcoin to like be more of like a core financial infrastructure as opposed to, say, yeah. gold. Right. So it's like, obviously, like, I don't think like Ethereum is the same mutable sort of like difficult to change properties as Bitcoin. But you could see like people within that community, they're clearly going for it. Like they're clearly making an effort to plug themselves into the financial system, stable coins that run on Ethereum. You know, you get bonds, various synthetic equities that run somehow are built on top of Ethereum. And so they're at least like so, you know, you could say like that community is at least like trying whereas you know you could see this sort of like yeah the bitcoin community is like fantasy about like everything is going to run on a bitcoin standard but it's not exactly obvious to me it's like yeah well how are you going to get there like what do you wait like what what is the plan and then the actual like plan of like well let's make this happen then seems to run into the contradiction of to make anything happen would require like governance and effort
2: totally and like engagement at a minimum, which I certainly don't see happening. Like I see Bitcoin, like Bitcoiners sort of hiving themselves off in a corner of the internet and talking amongst themselves for the most part, Um, which again, like is unfortunate in many ways, and probably one of the reasons why Ethereum seems to be um, making more inroads into traditional corners of finance. But then again, like, there is that open question of whether or not crypto should be doing that in the first place, given the original vision of, you know, sort of being this anti-authoritarian, anti-establishment technology.
0: Yeah. But I, I guess, like, just, like, big picture, like, I think, like, Vlad's message is, like, super interesting, which is, like, If you are, like, aiming to create power, and I I thought it was, like, his description of just the Internet, like, setting aside, like, state power, this sort of, like, Mm -hmm. feudal Internet that we've built, which is true where it's, like, almost everything you do, you sort of, like, pay a Facebook tax or an Amazon tax, or there's just a handful of, like, extremely powerful entities. And so it's, like, if you, like, have, like, a vision of replacing that power, then you sort of, like, have to, like, You know, think about law experts and you can't just have like, you know, software developers have it be all on them to like think about society and think about law, both like sort of literal written law and sort of like common law, etc. And so like this sort of like call to like take this stuff seriously, I thought was like super interesting and important.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Also his um, the idea of sort of creating an independent, separate space that you can use to create new agreements or try to like come to a new consensus like that to me sounds intriguing um although i still have questions about it but like also very very different to um the bitcoin vision
0: yeah absolutely
2: okay um shall we leave it there let's leave it there all right this has been another episode of the Odd thoughts podcast i'm tracy alloway you can follow me on twitter at tracy alloway
0: and I'm Joe Weisenthal. You can follow me on Twitter at The Stalwart. Follow our guest on Twitter, Vlad Zamfir. He's at Vlad Zamfir. Follow our producer, Laura Carlson. She's at Laura M. Carlson. Follow the Bloomberg head of podcast, Francesca Levy, at Francesca Today. And check out all of our podcasts at Bloomberg under the handle at Podcasts. Thanks for listening.